Hello, my name's Fleur Emery. Welcome to the award-winning Real Work podcast. Real Work is my online membership that democratizes business learning for women. We create content and community that will improve your confidence, knowledge and network by around 50% in as little as three months. And we know that because we've been measuring the data. The Real Work podcast brings you loose and lively conversations, very lively at times, <laughs> with women who have taken the women's work rule book and ripped it up and sometimes even used it for hamster bedding. We're here to show you what's possible for you in your own career. So have a good listen and enjoy. Now, let's find out who's coming up on today's episode. This week on The Real Work Podcast, our guest is Stephanie Bonham-Carter. Stephanie and her husband, on a romantic whim, bought a farm in the Galapagos Islands and turned it into a luxury eco-tourism resort where she free birthed couple of kids and everything it's an extraordinary story they really didn't know what they were doing they followed a dream and they well what they got was so much more our conversation covers everything from swimming iguanas to hot tubs um to run down fun fairs and all the way back again so i hope you enjoy it we're recording stephanie <laughs> Welcome to the show. We did it. Well, thank you, Fleur. It only took 20 minutes, and um, we actually do that on purpose, just to make the guests tense so that we can really get to the real you. Because <laughs> I've known you as being quite quite a sort of, you know, gracious, elegant person, but I think you're close to snapping. Oh, no, you have no idea. Especially <laughs> after the whole bloody year of covid so of yeah, course, you know, we're going to get to that. I mean, edge. that's wow. Yeah, I know. But anyway, <laughs> it's great to see you. Fabulous. It's great to see you. And where are you? Where are we talking to you from now? We can see the inside of your room. Only. Well, this is my daughter's room. We're in Turbach, in Turbach, up in Switzerland, up in the Swiss mountains, as far as where, away as you can possibly get to, really. Yeah, look. And look. Um, how did you come to live there? There you go. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. What a window view yeah no the view is very nice but we live up in a cow shed which we built up again um and you have lots of restrictions so you can only change the interior but not the exterior they're very strict with their swiss regulations and you can't get up here in the winter so you either walk up which the kids sometimes do or you get a little polaris a tuk-tuk so um, it's an adventure every day they go to school. It's been interesting. How long have you been there? That sounds an amazing place to live. Um, a year, about a year now, just over a year. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to do a little bit of a rewind because um, yes. the the thing I wanted to talk to you about today was just yeah your the the, the fascinating decisions you took in your career, and um, you're not a big podcaster, are you, Stephanie? No, it's really. not your natural not, not in your natural habitat are not you not at all i mean i couldn't be more out of my comfort zone oh thank you <laughs> your husband however he doesn't mind a he doesn't mind a bit of chit chat does he i've been listening to a podcast with him oh really you he, yeah he, this he morning did, right? i found oh, one wow. online and yeah. he told the very romantic story uh -huh. of how you two ended up in the galapagos islands do you want to um, give us their highlights? Do you, I mean, maybe he yeah. was lying. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's just a PR story, and actually, it was a maybe, hot, torrid. But it sounded impossibly was, romantic. Well, it was impossibly romantic. Well, it's it felt romantic at the time. Now, it you know, in retrospect, it's still very romantic, actually. Oh. <laughs> Bloody hard work, but really romantic. Tell us the actual bit of when you were there and you're on the bikes and then it, you went up to see the tortoises and they said yeah. about the farm, come and have a look. Tell us that story because Buckus hasn't heard it and our listeners yeah. Well, I mean, I just started seeing Michael at the time. We'd been together for a few months, but we were in, we were 30 at the time. So, you know, you're not too young, but not too old to be that wise. And uh, we went to Ecuador on holiday. I said to Michael, I'm going to go, my roots are there. Um, I 
would go back every so often. So he joined me and I arranged a whole trip around the whole country, the Amazon, the coast, the mountains and the Galapagos. Um, and of course, we had no plans. We were just uh, having a really good time together and exploring the, the country. And when we got to Santa Cruz Island, uh, Michael loves to talk to people and the locals and find out what's going on. And he's very into, you know, just learning about how people live. Um, and someone told him that there was a farm for sale. And we thought, ooh, how intriguing. Let's have a look. And um, it was quite, it was getting dark because, of course, in, on the equator, come six o'clock, it gets dark very quickly. And uh, there was that moment when we thought, oof, if we stay for much longer, we're going to be stuck up here. Um, and we could have just turned back into town and not gone to this farm, and then we wouldn't be sitting here telling you this story. But we did, and we walked. Um, this property was really, it had nothing special. We walked for a couple of kilometers uh, until we reached the edge of, of the farm, which borders National Park. And uh, there was like a little hillock and a tree. So we climbed up the tree. And that was the moment that changed our lives. We absolutely loved the view. That was the romantic point when we visualized what we could do there and how our life could be in Galapagos. Um, and well, that, that, that was the beginning of, of the dream, really. Does that match up his story? Yeah, it does, actually. <laughs> it's nice, isn't it, Ruckus? That is dreamy. What was the equivalent would be, for me would be if I was dating someone and invited them to come and see Portsmouth, where I'm from. <laughs> we could go and see the hovercraft. <laughs> we could go and see the broken fun fair. The, um, yeah, there's a bit of MOD land at the end. The beach is great. <laughs> but, yeah, we could, we could sit on um, an, a, yeah, a bomb, an old bomb site and... Um, Look at the horizon. No, there's beautiful sea. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Um, I shouldn't trash but talk. You, you, I mean, you I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to compete. It sounds incredible. No, I mean, you don't want to compete at all. But what I mean is, you. We all have those moments. We can look back in, life, in our yeah, life, moments of and we have yeah, that. Not yeah, even yeah. perfection. There are crossroads because it can yeah, go either yeah. way. I mean, we remember that bit, and it sounds really dreamy. It could have turned either way. It's just going back to that point in your life when you know that you turned right and you could have turned left and, yes. and, and your life could have been completely different. So that was our point. Um, and you have certain information available at that point, but there's a lot of information you don't know. There's a lot of risk in that situation. So my oh, mom and dad had a love yeah. story when they were young and they got married very quickly. They didn't know each other very well. And it happened to be that they're a great match and they're crazy about each other as they grow old. Nice. But equally for as many of their peers you know half a dozen couples who did the same thing in the 60s yeah. you could have married someone who was just horrid or you know an area could have changed rapidly there's 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 so many things yeah. and it just was it's the lovely a lovely beginning though to your to your story yeah it, it's uh it was a decisive point but yeah i mean it could it could turn either way like you say it, it turned out very well and it makes for a very good story without uh you know, let's not forget that it's been hard and it sounds all very yeah, let's, idyllic. Let's get into that. Like the nuts and bolts of, buy, of buying the place and setting the thing up. How did you, how much did you know about how Listen, to do that? To... Fleur, we had zero. I knew about yeah, yeah. poetry and I knew about <laughs> art and I knew about, you know, beautiful things. And suddenly we were there and we had no idea about working in tourism, in hospitality, uh, running a business, uh, buying property and building. I mean, we had no idea. And when you say farm, buy a farm, like yeah. what, like chicken farm, like well, rapeseed yeah, oil? I, I, what, I, I, what does that mean? It's a good question because, of course, you think of the Galapagos and you think of arid landscapes and wildlife. But there yeah. are, you know, there, it's an archipelago. There are many islands, some of them bigger, some of them smaller, some of them inhabited, some of them uninhabited. And within the uninhabited islands, you do have some areas which are populated. Um, then when I say populated, you have the main port town, so to speak, where most people live. And then you have uh, farmland. Farm, uh, and when I say farmland, it's mainly the cattle farming or some agricultural work. 
So um, just, I don't know if that, 98% of the archipelago is national park. So you cannot live, you cannot build, you cannot touch. But that 3% um, is privately owned. Interesting. Do you know much about the Galapagos Islands, Buckers? Um, absolutely zero. Okay. Sadly. Should we orientate? Buckers, what 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 Stephanie's pointing? <laughs> what Stephanie? It's a, it's a it's an island group in the East Pacific of Ecuador, the country in South America that Stephanie's Look from. at Fleur again. Yeah, look at her geography. I interested. <laughs> well, listen, I grew up. Have on you the got David an inflatable globe behind your laptop, there, Fleur? <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> got your magnifying glass out. I happen to be quite interested in Charles Darwin. I have you know, and the voyage of the Beagle. I know all about the Beagle expedition. And as you know, Buckers, I get interested in ideas and the idea that captures my imagination about the Galapagos, what I was super interested to find that Stephanie had been there, is that because of its remoteness and its, um, and its um, richness geographically, there's lots of birds and animals and sea life there that have um, developed, that have evolved separate to the rest of the world. So there's birds mm -hmm. that just live there and have never traveled to mainland mm. and, and changed. Wow. And so by studying them, when Charles Darwin went there and the Beagle, by studying them, that's where he started to understand about um, how um, animals like change and adapt. So, you know. Evolve. Evolve. essentially. I mean, that's yeah. how the theory of, of evolution started. And it's really very interesting because I remember when I was younger, whenever I heard about evolution, you think, ah, survival of the fittest, which is a misconception, really, because it's the survival of the most adaptable, which is, mm. uh, it takes a different turn when you look at it that way. And what you see in Galapagos, which is fascinating, is how um, species have adapted to the environment and have you know, the, 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 the cormorants, you know, you find cormorants somewhere else in, in different places in the world. But what has happened in Galapagos is that they've lost the wings. They've gotten very small because they don't need to go too far to find food. Uh, or if you look at the finches, you know, a little finch, which seems really not very interesting. When you start getting into them, you start looking at the beak and the beaks uh, of the finches will tell you what type of diet they have. And there are all these interesting um, studies that are going on. And you see evolution happening, literally, it's like evolution one, one on one, you know? It's uh, super and interesting. And swimming iguanas. Yeah, then you have land iguanas and swimming iguanas, but they also adapt to different environments within the archipelago. So you will have uh, species of tortoises on one island, uh, which have adapted and evolved differently to another. So, or within the same island, because of course you have microclimate. So, um, and not only uh, animals, but also the flora on, on Galapagos is fascinating. You really see how um, nature works to survive and uh, they either, you know, you have species that work together or compete against each other. And it happens so naturally, you know, it's just so clever. It makes sense. Um, and when you live there as these invasive species, which we seem to be, um, the rhythm of life takes a different um, undertone. You are so much more in tune with the weather, the moon, the environment, what animals are doing. For example, I remember that it took me a few years to realize that when we saw centipedes that would come out, we were up in the highlands, within the next three to four weeks, we will start getting the rain. And that's something that you'd never read in a book. You just sort of start noticing what nature does and how uh, wildlife behaves and what that tells you uh, about what's going to happen. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. I mean, yeah. I look at the iPhone for the wet rain. I'm embarrassed. I mean, that's <laughs> your iPhone is your centipede. Yeah. The, um... <laughs> so when I'm, when I'm, hearing here is music to my ears however when you arrive when you're up that tree yes. and you bought the um farmland originally yes you, we is it would it be fair to describe you as a, a reasonably um pampered metropolitan um arts graduate reasonably reasonably yeah so <laughs> how much did you know about the life of centipedes 
you know that was a work you just knew you zero could you go and catch your lunch that kind of thing catch your lunch cut its head off no not really no. listen I suppose I was adaptable to natural ah, environments adaptable <laughs> yes <laughs> that's perfect and that's that's the answer to the solution that, that the and answer, you can yes. any species can live on the Galapagos if it can be adaptable enough exactly and the adaptability um, the drive for that was that you had a great partnership, you had a great vision, you had the right age, the right time. I and suppose that the, helped. Yes. Yeah, there's there's those kind of things as well, isn't there, to drive yeah. you forward and that sort of, and then a whisper of magic, you know, those moments of the, the moment you just you describe of understanding the connection between the the centipedes and the rain. Mm-hmm. you know they're moments of magic aren't they when they you sort are. of feel it, that connection with the world around you and that's that's like it's like breadcrumbs isn't it taking you forward like when it gets hard it's those moments completely but you know also you start developing a sense of instinct rather than mm. you know I'm very um I'm very much in my head so it was really lovely to get out of it yeah. And you start feeling more and you start observing more. And, uh, of course, it was a time when technology was not as developed as now. I mean, uh, when we first started, we didn't have internet connection. So all we relied on was a few books and uh, an enormous amount of uh, being in love, both with each other and with our environment. And that with the gave us a lot of, yeah, that gave us a lot of... Uh, resilience, hard work, and you just make things happen. So you, you stop questioning and thinking about things. You, you just make them happen. When you said um, no internet connection, did you see yeah, Bunkers went like this? Shiver down her back. Yeah, do you know when, when uh, Bunkers no, and you. Stephanie and I, and I were at university together, do you know we handed in our essays written on paper? Yes. into a wire pigeonhole and when you when the university told you off which obviously they did frequently with me um they they type you a letter a teleoffy letter and put it in the pigeonhole and you'd have to come gosh and collect it about it yeah true. the pigeonholes yes. <laughs> in that funny corridor <laughs> the pigeonhole yes i remember the pigeonhole of doom and, uh, yeah I so i just leave days. them and then just st- i just yeah. let them stack up yeah oh my god so now, they, how it's this changed is, this is but you know I, I also remember when I moved to England, I was in my teens, and uh, my friends would write letters, and I would write them. Yeah, that's It lovely. would take months, months, yeah, yeah, yeah. months to get them. I still got a load of letters that I used to write. I was a great yeah. correspondent as a teenager, and they are special. Yeah. I do, I'm kind of, that's one of the things for our kids, I think. You know, they will lose out on the, the, the yeah. stamp and the lovely hand, handwritten letter. So yeah. you knew nothing. I knew nothing. You were having, Mother Nature was calling Yes, very and, much so. Um, and how and and you said the the pace of life there is different. It um, you can't sort of rush things. You can't ding the bell and get service. So how long did it take for you when you bought the um, farm to it for being open for business? Um, so it took us about a year to look into how we could actually buy the property and uh, make it happen to understand the regulations of what we could and couldn't do on the island. Um, And there were many gray areas, so that was a a great challenge. Uh, There wasn't a framework which was clearly defined. Uh, It's far more defined now, but it wasn't at the time. So we actually had to go out to the authorities, ask for advice, see what needed to be done, and so on and so forth. But we did it, and we really wanted to follow the rules. Uh, we didn't want to get into any trouble. We didn't get, want to get into that sort of horrible place of needing to bribe people, so we wanted to be clean. You didn't want any letters in your pigeonhole? No, we didn't at all, typewritten or, <laughs> or not. <laughs> anyway, so that took about a year, and then when we finally moved there, uh, it took us about two and a half years to build and when I say build, we needed to open up the road from the beginning, from the entrance of the farm to where we built the actual lodge and uh, pitched the tents up. Um, think about electricity and water and uh, how to, you know, the, the main lodge is built uh, with a steel structure 
and we tried to keep the cement as uh, low as possible so it has huge windows and netting. Um, but then the tents are that, are tents. I mean, they're lovely big tents, but they are tents nonetheless. So at any moment, we can just lift them up and uh, it won't, we won't leave such a huge... Um, footprint. Footprint. Thank you. Footprint. Yes. Fassel. Yes. So the... Um, and... The idea was to be able to invite paying guests to come and stay with you to enjoy the magic of that Mother Nature has to offer to get a glimpse to travel home and for that to support your life living there. Yes, I mean, our it was uh, a choice of life. We wanted to be in the bush. We wanted the adventure. We wanted a project, and obviously, we needed to make a living. So how do you marry those two things uh, in a place like the Galapagos, where obviously the, the main uh, uh, financial economic engine is tourism? So it made sense. And we wanted a project that was sensitive to our environment. Um, so, so hence the idea of the tented camp. So, so yes, but did we know what we were doing? Absolutely no idea. We really grew organically. So once the the... the project was built we thought "Ooh, so where were the guests ah, oh you need to market <laughs> yeah what does that mean so how do we do that? What does that exactly how does that what does that look like and how do we uh, show people what we're doing and of course we thought that uh, doing something as special as a tented camp in the Galapagos we'd have floods of people coming in well it wasn't the case it took That's us so many years because if you think of the Galapagos, if you want to go and visit, you always think of a cruise, right? Very few people at the time knew that you could actually go and stay on the islands and do tours from there. Um, I'm talking about 14 years ago now. So at the time, uh, it wasn't so much in people's radars as an option to explore the Galapagos. So it took many years to, to get the word out there and to learn how to... Uh, market ourselves and actually put tours together at the beginning we thought okay we will just do uh, the hotel so to speak yeah. so people can come and stay that's not enough you need to offer a Galapagos experience and now after well it took us about three or four years to do this we developed a full-fledged Galapagos experience Mm. An itinerary as yeah. well. The um, the model of hotel that you've made is based on like the African safari tradition, isn't it? Yeah. So they they it, when people go on safaris, they have and they choose where they're going to go in terms of itineraries, don't they? What they can see. You know, yeah. having said that, I, I know that because recently I met someone on Bumble who works in African safari camp and I've been messaging him <laughs> in Zambia. It's super interesting <laughs> because before that, yeah. the everything that I knew about safari, I'd learned from Meryl Streep in Out of Africa. Well, so did I. Did you? Well, I bet, I bet yes. you had that. You'd have looked great in that outfit, that Ralph Lauren that she wore in that movie. Oh, listen, I beautiful. remember watching that movie when I was younger. So God, romantic. I remember that going to the cinema to see it. was a source of inspiration. It yeah. was a moment, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's completely. so racist when you look back on it. It doesn't. It hasn't held up well at all. No. But um, the fashion in it, the whole... And also, he's a dreadful narcissist, isn't he? Dennis yes. Fitchatton, the way he behaves towards oh, her. He he's was, like he was absolutely crumbs awful. at the table. He breadcrumbs her. But That's she was mother. amazing. She was amazing. I loved her resilience in that movie. Hmm. I really did. I loved it her. It is true as well, like her actual yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. Ka um, Karen Blixen. Mm -hmm. Do you know who we're talking about, Buckers? No, sorry. No. Was like, I, no. I suppose the movie is so sorry. romanticized that we, we, we get the, 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 the pretty bits uh, but in terms yeah. of how, at the time, also not yeah, she only was racist, but sexist as well. I mean, for a woman yeah. to break into uh, that environment and uh, to single-handedly manage a farm and uh, make a living and leave everything Absolutely, behind yeah. was amazing. So, yeah. And her Limoges. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, uh, Limoges. Um, so this... 
I don't know if it's going to, we might have to edit this out. It might not be very interesting for the listeners. There's a film called Out of Africa <laughs> that Meryl Streep and Robert Redford created cinematic magic within. Um, it was just an incredible score and, in, and a beautiful film and these flamingos fly up. And actually, although the bit in the plane is a bit sketchy because they superimpose it on, it doesn't, that looks a bit wonky. Anyway, it's a very romantic film telling the story of a woman called Karen Blixen, a Danish woman who um, lived in Kenya and was a sort of a kind of feminist in a way and um, took over um, a farm there and a a love affair that she had with a guy who um, Robert Redford plays I think quite generously. (laughs) I think uh, in real life he was probably a bit smellier and um, (laughs) yeah, a bit less coiffured. But um, they have like a safari camp with a gramophone and, you know, the whole thing. And it was just when when Stephanie and I were at a really impressionable age. And uh, I wonder if that, in that moment, I wonder if those kind of messages that had gone into you like when you're in that moment in the tree, if they were like part of the reason you're oh, about to say, yeah, let's do Completely, 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 very much so, very much so, yes. No, the khaki uh, outfit, the oh, wonderful yeah. view, <laughs> you know, you could have the, a certain level of comfort, but you're wild and you're yeah. daring, you know, of course. And the reality was, tell us about poisonous insects, you know, things that can harm you, locals getting upset with you, lavatorial collapse, that kind of thing. Well, uh, <laughs> gosh, so in Galapagos, well, the species are not threatening, you know. You oh, don't that's good. Have, no, well, of course, you don't have the big lions. And no. okay, if you get uh, bitten by a centipede, you'll develop a fever, but that's about it. Uh, or if you get bitten by a shark, but, yeah, then it'll start raining. Um <laughs> But, uh, but there's no, a lot there's of sharks. Nothing. There's a lot of sharks, but you know, you go and swim and snorkel, and uh, you know, everyone minds their own business. It's really rather civilized. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but juicy bits. I mean, when we be- when we were starting to build, we had nothing. We were literally living in a tiny tent, a two man tent. So there was nothing luxurious about it, and. Uh, if we were to do this now, uh, aged 48 and smelly as we're becoming, it wouldn't be quite as romantic as it was at the time, right? Um, but it was it, just waking up with nature was, it was a treat and it kept you going. Uh, no, but we had absolutely nothing. It was a very basic existence and it was wonderful. Loved it. Of course, I got pregnant while we were building. So that was something else. Our children were born at the farm at the property itself. We, I didn't want to go to a hospital. I did not want to go to Quito. My husband wow. was uh, there. And uh, of course, we did have a doctor. It was a, it was a risk, but it was pretty basic. With, with Lawrence, for example, um, we hadn't even built the camp. I mean, we were in the process of. So we had a 30-square cement room with an inflatable pool, which we got in the local supermarket and that's where he was born so so yeah there was uh it was pretty basic (laughs) my um (laughs) i had a um a water birth at the local maternity center in portsmouth and um my kid was asking about it and i was trying to explain it to her and she told her friend that that i i gave birth in a hot tub Mm -hmm. and (laughs) she thinks it was like the ones you get being cute the jets and the lights on them, like the ones that <laughs> suburban patio, that kind of thing. Like I was just at someone's house having cheese and wine in the suburbs, and she was. Oh, you see, now that's was... going to make an impression on her, and she's probably going to follow your footsteps. <laughs> you see, and she will probably add the lights and the music, <laughs> you know, and the seventies uh, disco ball. That shows, yeah. So at the at the beginning of this story. Um, we we slipped in an idea of you as a sort of a, a semi-pampered. You're not pampered anymore if you're free birthing on the Galapagos Islands. That is no. that takes grit. That is that's a different <laughs> level, Stephanie. A uh, different. Level. I admire you. It's just a lot of of, of of courage and commitment and womanhood. Listen, um, that sounds all very noble and very nice. I think that the reality was that I was quite naive. Yeah. Very. Yeah, much. the first time maybe. Yeah, this, well, the first one went so well that I wanted another one, you see. 
<laughs> when Jasmine came along, we already had a proper bathtub in our bedroom. So, you know, we went from an inflatable pool to a bathtub. <laughs> and this... that in the lodge, which was built already. So, no, but I think it was naive. And I think there was, I was so unbelievably in love with the Galapagos. There was no way I was going to have my children anywhere else. No way. It, it really was a story of a, a, a love affair with, with the earth, you know, the earth under my feet. That's where I wanted to be. Yeah. And um, when you arrived to mm -hmm. now, like COVID aside, there has been a massive shift in tourism in the area and uh, um, our views on what is appropriate when we travel into fragile ecosystems has completely changed. So what's your, what's your view on that? Like, how did you notice adapt? What's your part in that? So um, when we first started being as naive as we were, we didn't question so much what was right or wrong. We followed our instinct. Our instinct was we wanted to be kind to the environment that was welcoming as mindful. Um, even at the time, there was a lot of greenwashing, and I didn't particularly want to, to get uh, involved in that. So, so we've not been out there saying, oh, look, we're doing this, we're doing that. Or, or I think that's just normal. Everyone should do their bit, however big or small uh, it is. Um, and then, of course, the more the time passes, the more you question what is right and what is wrong. And I love the fact that you've used the word appropriate because that's something that we've been trying to advocate for. What is appropriate in which environment? So we have seen a shift towards more of a traditional luxury in the Galapagos, whether it is uh, on cruises or on land. There is a shift towards a perceived idea of luxury and travel a five-star experience like this is dubai effect that kind exactly, of thing exactly exactly yeah. so 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 that is listen if 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 you go to I, I don't know if you go to miami you know what to expect but if you go to galapagos don't bring miami into the galapagos do, do you see what i mean and we've seen that shift but other people this. have been doing that other businesses have been doing uh, that then I mean, there is that shift. Uh, yeah. Fortunately, it is highly regulated, so it's not right. that easy. Uh, but but uh, it's fragile. I mean, it could turn uh, either way, depending on who's uh, administrating it. But fortunately, uh, the, the, there have been enough breaks there. Um, and it's a double-edged sword because, of course, we think of the Galapagos and the natural environment, but, of course, there is also a local population. Yeah, there's 25,000 people, live there? Yeah, about 30, actually, and, and probably more. You know, it fluctuates. Yeah. Um, it's not easy to live in the Galapagos. You need yeah. special permits. Um, and, uh, but, you see, you do have a local population, several uh, generations now, it is their place. I mean, our children were born there. What do you do? You can't exactly. Yeah, it's such yeah. an interesting journey because um, from the kind of um, Western liberal seat that I live in most of the time, you can just say cruise liners, cruise liners shouldn't be allowed anywhere near it. You know, it's a space. You know, it's a, tr an, a treasure of the planet. That, and then you can say, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> if if it's if people live there. They need to work, and it's not up to me, you know, on what, how, how they earn their money, or how, you know, there's still, there's different support, there's layers of people who need to be supported that way. And just sort of like um, clutching our pearls and saying, you know, it needs to be a museum. Mm -hmm. Listen, I think that, of course, the tendency that we have is to try to make things black and white because that's yeah, the, the yeah, easier yeah. way to understand. Yeah, and our world seems so divided between, you know, whether you're a republic or Republican or Democrat, whether you are vac uh, against vaccinations or pro-vaccinations, whether, do you see, and everything is black or white. And I, I don't think everything's anything is like that. <laughs> exactly. Mm. I, I think we need to be a little bit more humble. Uh, and less judgmental. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, we try our best. I think that we need to be perhaps less greedy. Um, 
but it's our human nature that generally we want more. So being mindful of how much is enough or not, you know. And in the Galapagos, when you talk about tourism, often what I see is that it turns into a marketing tool. So if you're promoting cruises, then a way to promote it is like, get a cruise because land-based is really damaging to the environment. And then ah. you hear the land-based uh, operations uh, promoting land-based because uh, it cruises are... Mm. So, do you see what I mean? There is always, it's this constant need to look for sales tools, so to speak, you know? That's when you get the greenwashing. Okay, what's the latest trend? The latest trend now is how to be more ecological, sustainable. So you have all these buzzwords and then suddenly once everyone wants to fit that mold. And it's it's not like that. It's not that simple, right? How do you measure what you advocate for? But what we try to do is be mindful of what is appropriate. Okay, we would like a pool because I think in the days of, uh, in the hot days, and if we have a place for guests to come and stay, people like a little dip. But do we need a huge swimming pool that is going to be so difficult to maintain and there is no fresh water on the island? So how do we compromise? Um, we need to build a lodge. Okay, how are we going to build in a way that is not going to require air conditioning? Where is the airflow? Um, if it comes from the southeast, can we angle the lodge in a way where we're going to maximize uh, ventilation? So little things like that, which don't require an enormous amount of work, research, investment. It's just pure and simple common sense. You, you, you see what I mean? So, so that's what we believe uh, appropriate practices are. Uh, just taking a little bit of time to be aware and doing things because you've, you've done enough research to know that they are right within the context, right? I were don't know you, if that makes were sense. Were you, Michael, the only decision makers in this? Yes. So you didn't have other stakeholders who could have pressurized you to do things differently? No, no, no. I think that's that's a big thing, isn't it? Because it could have been very different had you taken a massive chunk of money in from someone you didn't know very well. Well, exactly. And actually, that's a very good point because you see the difference. Now that our uh, camp is also a business and our livelihood, and we obviously need it, we have two children, we need to educate them and feed them. I mean, you know, I think that you, you have to go through the basics. You need to get what you need, and then you can also see how what best practices you can use. When you start a project purely from a, a business perspective, I think your decisions are very different. Had yeah. we thought yeah, about yeah, yeah. solely creating a business in the Galapagos, we wouldn't have put so much thought and effort into building what we built and how we built it or how we operated. You know, maybe we would have just simply built a horrible concrete building in town and uh, put rates down so that people come in and out. And that might have been a much better business. But that's not what we wanted. We wanted a much more profitable business, not yeah. better, right? Well, exactly. It's, it's, it's so interesting because in real work, um, in um, in my own online community, which has all different types of women who do different, different types of business, the thing we just go on about all the time is creating the business that is right for you. And this is why this story is so interesting mm -hmm. to me. You've created um, a business that is right for you and your family. Tell us about um, the virus. What happened? The virus, the virus. Well, how did it affect the local population? Everything died overnight. I mean, we are talking about a developing country with an economy that was slightly fragile, slightly to, to, to put it mildly. Um, and everything literally shut overnight. Like in, you know, around the world, we saw exactly the, 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 the same story. You know, lockdowns, people being evacuated, uh, lots of fear. Uh, I think the, the big difference is that the, the richer countries were able to provide support systems. Uh, we got none of that. So we had to make some huge decisions. And of course, there was absolutely no certainty of how long we needed to plan for to survive. So how... What do you do that's legal, that's human, that's sustainable? Uh, and, and those decisions without having any idea of what to expect were 
tremendous. That from the business perspective, but then also with our children, you know, don't forget, we do have two kids that need to be educated. They're in their teens now. It's an important age for for decisions of uh, how you want to educate them and, and continue to bring them up. So, yeah, we had, we left the country. Uh, we were planning to do that anyway um, because we always thought that come a certain time, we wanted them to be in Europe yeah, so when they they're could little, have a choice. That whole Gerald Durrell thing of them just, yeah. I mean, that's the dream. But mm-hmm. there is also the, re- the rest of the world and the rest of their lives when, we, when we've gone. And we have to equip them for that as well. Like there's... They have to be able to function within the system as well in some way. It's difficult, isn't it? Well, so there's that. It's very, very difficult, and it depends on your on your on your children. You know, do they have any uh, education needs? How are you going to provide for that? So, so, on the one hand, you're thinking of your business and all the families that rely on them. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know, directly in the region of almost forty families, and indirectly all your service providers is pretty brutal um, and then of course you have to talk about it and and and, uh, and explain why you are making the decisions that you're making and how you are planning to uh, uh, pick up the pieces again and with that being able everyone wanted certainty and no one had it um, I have to say that everyone in our team was spectacularly supportive uh, and uh, and starting again after so many months of having to be shut down was a pleasure. I mean, it was very uh, emotional. That's, and to, that's to, a credit to, to your more. leadership, you know, your team, the team, the sense of team and the cooperation in the difficult time. That's, it's, it's great. It's great to hear that. How many months were you closed for? Um, so f- mid-March to mid-December, Uh, of 2020 there was no one at the camp then we had a couple of families very few and then again there was no one until April and then from then on we were able to function semi semi normally so we're still in the process of reactivating uh, because of course um, yeah I mean once you close you have to uh, start again and and uh, yeah, it's it's really not that easy. And of course, Mother Nature doesn't close, and just no. in terms of the property and everything, like you know, the it's has a life of its own, doesn't it? You know, in terms of how yes, no, having, you, you know, yeah, having you have to, to have constant maintenance. Of course, we had to reduce it uh, to a certain point, but not completely. You have to keep that going. No, and and then of course on the islands, uh, fortunately, most of the population is quite young. Um, uh, so, and it was sheltered, so it was closed down. So, uh, and it was the first province to be vaccinated. So that made a, whether you're pro or against vaccination, it made a big difference in terms yeah. of protect, protecting the, the, the local population. So, um, it, it, it's small enough that it was manageable. So I remember going to Galapagos from Switzerland. I wasn't vaccinated and absolutely every guest and every one on the island, everyone was vaccinated. So I was the anomaly with that. Congratulations yeah. for surviving it. I mean, that's... For, for, We're still in the yeah. process. We're still in the process of it. It's been long, but it's, you know, it's been incredibly humbling and eye-opener. It gives you an opportunity to, to evaluate uh, what you've done, uh, right, wrong, what you can do to change, uh, and also in, uh, appreciative of the team that 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 was supported in the process. Yeah. And um, what does the future look like? Oh, do not ask that question. I don't. I'm, Just give I'm, us I'm, the PR version. To... Give us the PR version. It's incredible. This is the you know the. Ah, for for the camp. Yeah, just, yeah. Are we we're going to well, grow no, sorry, there and, and be riding tortoises? And no, for the camp, I am I'm actually really excited. Several reasons. The Galapagos. I don't know if you heard, but uh, the president of Ecuador came up with a proposal in uh, in Glasgow to trade debt so that we can expand the marine park. And that's half of your island is. No, the, so, so, the, so you have the you have the marine the Galapagos Marine Park, yeah, right, 
which is a certain area. And then around it is international waters. Yes, now, yeah. when you're in international waters, you can fish and is not yeah. regulated. And this is where you have all the huge fishing fleets that are incredible, that they just deplete the Yeah, ocean. like industrial fishing yeah. techniques. So, exactly. uh, so it's the zone, the, the, the zone in the water that is protected is going to be expanded. Expanded. And it's a corridor that goes from the Galapagos Marine Park towards the Cocos Islands. So it, that's important, again, because... Uh, that's where how the species migrate. So it opens up a migration corridor that's protected. So it, it it's a re a step in the right direction. So we're I'm super excited about that. The second thing that I'm excited about is our our current government at the moment. The team in the Ministry of Tourism is very solid. Uh, in fact, our ex managing director is now the vice uh, minister. And uh, the minister is a very young, energetic man who also has a, a, a wonderful property in, in, in Ecuador. So the team that's currently managing is uh, n- not political, so to speak. So hopefully it'll, it'll stay that way. So that's exciting. The other exciting aspect to, to, to a post-COVID world is how your general traveler is going to be more mindful and more aware i think that people are going to be a little bit more sensitive to the environment and the choices that they're making we started this before covid happened just sort of putting the questions out there and no one really was engaging as much i mean no one knew i mean there is obviously the 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 trend was already there but i think that this has uh, laid out the ground to to enable for that to, to 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 happen more and faster um, and as at the camp, I mean, we were in the middle of several projects which were beautifully interesting. One of them was moving 100% towards solar energy. Now, that's an expensive project. And with this, it's had to be put on hold. But we got approval. And so we were going to move in that direction. So, so that's a project that we need to retake. And then we have other things in mind. But I'd rather not talk about them because, of course, until we're ready and they happen, it, it's a process. Lots of course um, for optimism. Yeah. No, no, no. It's exciting. It's very exciting. Uh, and the fact that we're alive. I mean, we're alive. It's amazing. And um, the yeah. oldest resident of the Galapagos Islands, El Solitario Jorge, didn't live to no. um, see this. But that might have been a blessing. Probably. Do you know probably. who do you so know I'm talking about? To take over. <laughs> Uh, so how old was Jorge when he died? Yeah, is it a giant tortoise? tortoise, and he, um, yeah, is it <laughs> called Solitary yeah. George because he didn't have oh. a mate? I, and do we know how old he was when he died? Oh. You know, I can't remember. We'll ninety something, rather. We'll Google it. Can't remember if it, he was ninety, late nineties, or already. Let's 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 look. My um, my, I should know. I remembered that story because my sister named her dilapidated VW camper after. Solitario. <laughs> well, he was really a, a character. <laughs> really famous. Like yeah, Lansom George, there you go. So we'll put a link to him in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, they don't quite know. No, they don't know. No, he from... hasn't got a birth certificate. No, of course not. Yeah, how that surely somebody must know that would rely on someone knowing when he I was think hatched. they do. I think on their on their shell there's different rings, isn't there? Like a tree that you can count. Yeah. I think there is, honestly. Yeah. I think there is. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean of course it, it was one of the uh places you had to go to. You had to go and see Lansom George when he was alive. Yeah. You've been an incredible guest. I knew you no. would be. No, yes, not at all. I, bl- I blabber so much. No, I blabber so much. Honestly, it's an absolute it's delightful. <laughs> it's just no, looking to a window. And what this podcast is about, it's not sort of hard business advice. It's about showing women what's possible. You know, you made you made some mm. bold choices. A moment, uh, you know, an opportunity presented itself and you took an opportunity. And with great courage and grit, you made an extraordinary life with all the ups and downs, because, of course, life happens. But it's um, it's an absolute treat to hear. And I'm so, so grateful that we managed to get over our technical details and get it in the can. 
Yeah, no, you're super, super, super sweet. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Um, I mean, it's wonderful to have a space. There is so much to, to talk about. Of course, we've talked about the story, but uh, besides the story, there's so many lessons to be learned about business, about managing business, being a woman, which is something that we haven't really discussed. But it's, it's not an easy thing when you are trying to juggle bringing up kids. Uh, running a business, you know, I would have uh, one baby on a leash, the other one on, you know, on the hip, and then the the monitor when I put them at night, and then I'd go out and host at night. I mean, we literally did everything. And, um, you know, of course, the business itself goes through an, a process of evolution where we were there, and then eventually we had a team. But all of that, I mean, it's 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 been an adventure. But I do think that for women... I think one of our biggest challenges is trying to juggle everything because we were brought up to think that we can do it all and managing it all, we it, it's tough. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying. It's honestly. like that expression, I don't know who said it, you can have it all but not all at the same time. Yeah. So at some point that's, in that's our a life, good word of advice. Yeah, like at yes, some point yes. we achieve um comfort and you know um financial security we might have romance at another time we might enjoy motherhood or yeah or the, those things but they, it doesn't coincide like um like in the movies no 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 it's not quite an out of africa no not quite <laughs> we'd like to think it is at the foot of the ngong hills right yeah. it's been a pleasure i can see buckers as we're doing time up thank you oh, so okay. so much and um, I plan you. to go. Bucket, so are you going to start saving up? Should we have a, a fund? And um, real work Galapagos Islands. I would love to. It sounds absolutely stunning. It's, it's very nice. Listen, whenever you want to come, let me know. We'll squeeze as much as we can so that you can come and visit. That's it for today's episode of the Real Work Podcast. Thank you for being with us. This is the part where we remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And buckers will probably tell me off if I don't ask you to please rate and review on Apple Podcasts because apparently when you do that, our content reaches more listeners. If you're curious about Real Work, the online membership Improving Women's Confidence Knowledge and Network, head to our website, doreal.work, and sign up for our super newsletter, The Real Worker. All the details that you need to connect with us in any way, you'll find in the show notes. If you want to make a podcast that your audience will adore, but the thought of making it yourself terrifies you to the core, then you know who to call. Producer Buckers, she knows just what to do. Producer Buckers, to make your podcast dreams come true. She used to work in radio where she was morning paleo, a dab hand at audio. Find producer Buckers on Instagram at decibel underscore creative or click the link in the show notes. Come on, everyone. Producer, producer Buckers. If you want to hire the best producer Buckers, just put it to the test. Producer Buckers, just press record and she does the rest. Producer Buckers.